our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. It's so odd to do our podcast after spending a, basically a week with you in Cabo. I know. I know it is. I was thinking about it actually uh, yesterday. I'm like, God, I got to get right back on with Joe in this setting, which was normal. And now it's not because right. we did spend some time together. <laughs> yeah. And it's normally when you slide into the Zoom call, I have not really talked to you since the previous week. Now you slide into this Zoom call and I've watched you schlump around my house half naked <laughs> for the, the better part. I, I guess it's like five, six days we were down there and and I felt like, you know, I, I the beauty of our friendship, I think, is that I was thinking about this today. We can sit there. There were multiple times I thought about, well, we're just kind of sitting here in silence. You know, like mm-hmm. we were playing golf. We weren't talking at times. We were sitting outside. We weren't talking at times. We weren't, but it wasn't because it was awkward. It was because it was the opposite of that. It was because it was it was so comfortable that we didn't feel the need to constantly fill it up with clutter mm-hmm. or chatter. I, I, is how mm-hmm. I felt. I don't know about you. Oh yeah, well that's well, of course, but that's when you know that you have a friendship relationship, whether it be with a friend like you and I or your wife or whoever. And then uh, uh, that's real where you don't have to fill the space because it's not uncomfortable. You know, there's, there is no, you know, there's no sort of tension of silence because you're just pure and good and comfortable and not stressing about filling that void, you know? Yeah, for sure. Now our wives, our wives, clearly have not found that comfort even though they have i'm kidding but yeah, all they but do they is just, talk oh god i know i know there's Maybe so many things that they say talk. about there's so many things they say about us too you know that we don't even know about like they go off and they do their thing and and there's all kinds of discussions happening about you and me and our relationships and yeah. You know, it's it can get scary. It, it is. I don't even want to it's makes me sweat even <laughs> thinking about it. But you, you know, I, I thought there were you know, Aaron was texting with Michelle five days, four days, three days before we left. I it was kind of on the fence if you were even gonna be able to go or want to go or whatever. And so I was respecting that but hopeful because I didn't it was kind of this last week, it was one of those where there was so much buildup in my mind because I flew to L.A., I got out mm-hmm. there on Friday, I did nothing on Saturday and Sunday, rehearsed Jeopardy on Monday, 
And then to have this enormous, great carrot waiting for me for after shooting five shows of Jeopardy on Tuesday to then race to the airport and join you, Aaron and Michelle on a flight down to Cabo. I was like, it just doesn't, in my life, it doesn't get any better than that. And it was one of those where you're so anticipatory about how much fun it's going to be. And then mm-hmm. you're, I'm, I'm almost sad as it approaches <laughs> because I don't have that to look forward to anymore. So I, it's, <laughs> it's, that's like the I, a I, moron's oh guide to enjoying life is to, I, ugh. Oh, dude, but that's so relatable. I think everyone feels the same way. You know, it's that anticipation of something and then sort of being bummed out that that anticipation is no longer. I mean, you're con- it's constantly living, you know, for the next. Like, I get, to, I get to your spot and it's so beautiful. And the minute I put my bags down, I'm thinking, man, I got to leave here in five days, <laughs> even know. though I haven't even experienced one thing yet. You know, yeah. Um, what is that? But the I, only downside, ugh. the only downside to to you know going to Cabo with you after Jeopardy was the song I lost on Jeopardy was on repeat <laughs> in your dun-dun, place. Dun-dun, dun-dun, I lost on Jeopardy. <laughs> Jeopardy. <laughs> that was one. Of, actually, that's that was in one of the shows. Uh, I, a friend of mine sent it to me like as a joke. Going in, it's the Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, take off in the show Our Love's in Jeopardy, I think it was. Our Love's mm. in Jeopardy, baby. Mm-hmm, Greg mm-hmm. Kinn, isn't that what you nailed that with? Who came up with that? Somebody came up with that. Greg mm-hmm. Kinn, is that who sang that? I have no idea. That was not me. Somebody said that. We were down there. Um, and so then that was actually in the game. One of the games, one of the clues was... Uh, Don Pardo and I think Wink Martindale made appearances in the video for this Weird Al parody. And the wow. answer was that. I lost Amazing. on Jeopardy. And uh, <laughs> and then I said to the contestants, I'm like, don't, don't sing it. It will not get out of your head for at least three <laughs> weeks because it just gets in there and it does not let you go. So uh, the show went great. The beauty of doing this podcast is it's become my blanket excuse to not talk about things that I don't want to talk about. So if yeah. if a writer texts me or calls me or tries to interview me about, well, what'd you think of Jeopardy? How did Jeopardy go? And I really don't want to talk about it till it comes out. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Just let it come out and we can talk about it prior to it airing, I guess. But yeah. I, I, all I say is I'm not even talking about it on my own podcast. So if, That's right. if you know, just just understand that I'm not not giving it to you. I'm just not talking about it because I, I don't think it's fair uh, to Jeopardy. I don't think it's even fair to me to, to go off on how well I, I thought it went. I thought it went well, and I'll leave it at that, and then we'll see how, mm-hmm. it, how it looks when it comes out Let's because I really don't that. know. I really don't know how it's going to look or how it'll be perceived or whatever, but – I had fun, yeah. and they seemed to like it. That's all. That's all I'll go with. Yeah, and I won't say anything because I know more. I know a lot, but I'm not, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna keep quiet. Okay. I'm gonna keep quiet. I'll, I might talk about it on sibling revelry, but hope hope hopefully you're okay with that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Perfect. You and okay. Kate talk about it, <laughs> and uh, and you just represent me well. You can uh, answer questions as if you are me to Kate about Perfect. how your comma my experience was hosting a quiz show it's not well, a game it show looks, it's a quiz so, show. so so i'm looking 
I'm looking at you now, and shit is cleared out in your background. Yeah. You have no more stuff. In, it's, it's, you're on the move. We're on the move. We're, we're, on. we're moving to another house within the same neighborhood. You know what gets me, and, it, and last night I went through it, is looking at all the notes that I've had over the years from my girls and seeing, mm. seeing you know, them mature just with the handwriting alone, but how the notes have stayed consistent but have gotten deeper and deeper uh, and and I could just sit there all night and look through old Father's Day cards, birthday cards, just for nothing cards or little notes or funny pictures or whatever. And it's just, it's good to look at that. And I'm thinking, so I'm going to move to this house. I'm going to box that stuff up. Mm-hmm. And the next time I look at it, if I do, will probably be when I'm on my way out. I, I, I can't see me going into like a storage area and going through when you're, old stuff. When you're dying? Yeah. I don't, when, when else will I look at it? <laughs> when you move to Denver. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That, perfect. I'll just keep planning moves for every six or seven years, uh, which Malcolm Gladwell, I think, says you should move every 10 years. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. To, to uh, further your uh expansion of your mind and experiences ah. and friend groups and whatever you get stagnant being in the same place for over that's 10 interesting years. that's interesting i'm i'm i've approached that i'm at 11 years now and i'm getting a little antsy i'm getting a little antsy but i just redid my garage and i had to go through all of my shit too to sort of throw stuff out and and i stumbled upon as aaron and i both did just Again, my kids aren't as old as yours or my, you know, it's from your, your first set anyway. But all of these Father's Day cards, and these little drawings and, ugh, it's, a, it's, it's beautiful. And sometimes I post about this on Instagram when I, when I post a picture of my kids when they're younger. It's like this torturous, blissful, beautiful, cut, cut your neck off feeling. <laughs> it, it's all of these emotions wrapped up into one because you love looking at it, but it hurts. You know, it hurts at the same time. Ah, that nostalgia is just a killer for That was in the Justin Baldoni episode, and it's what I thought about where you are, you know, being a parent, this is paraphrasing, is the only time when you're nostalgic for the present. And that's when Mm -hmm. you get those cards, you're like, my God, this is so powerful. It means so much. And yet onto the pile it goes, and now you look at it as you look back, and that nostalgia does come in, and it's it's uplifting and equal parts sad because you realize how much time has passed and wonder how much time you have left. So, I mean, I'm I'm looking at at a box of like, am I really gonna watch rewatch Game Three of the 2002 World Series? I right. why am I keeping that? That that's yeah. That it's just taking up space, and I feel bad throwing old appearances and old games away but i'm never gonna look at it and if i really want to go look at game three of the 2002 world series i can just go on youtube and watch it so i why don't i just forget it just throw it away but you did but you did keep it or did you throw it away no i've kept all this stuff and it just doesn't make any sense to me so why why i have it all but i do and um, I, it's going to go from one pile in this current house to a pile in the new house. And I'm never going to watch it. You know what we do? I, got, I have an idea. We create NFTs from them, okay? Non-fungible uh-huh. tokens. 
you're in the sports world. We can take these very personal tapes of yours and we can create these art pieces that we can then auction off and sell for crazy amounts of money. Yeah. Okay. You do the legwork on that and I'll hand you all these DVDs and there are a lot of VHS tapes. Can we do something with VHS tapes? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm going to get on this. I'm going to get on this. But the other thing, going back to my garage clean out, actually, you know, there's mixed emotions in there as well because I go from the kids and all that nostalgia and then I'm stumbling across pictures of Aaron and her like ex-boyfriends and, you know, because she has all of her memorabilia as well. So I'm like, ah, yeah, great. This is you and Simon. Good. Here's you and so-and-so and no, <laughs> like don't say so and so. Let's go through the list. Let's go through. I, but Michelle has all that stuff too, and I don't particularly you know, I, love seeing all that. I, I'm. I, I that's how fragile I'm I am. Okay, I'm jealous. I'm a jealous fucking guy. I think, but but I, I'm fine with it, really. But you you look at these pictures of them kissing, other dudes kissing and hugging. I'm like, why do yeah. you still have this? You know, does that but then mean I still have you? You still stuff have too. stuff. You have hard, like hard copy I've, pictures of stuff. I do. I do a Vanessa and then Becca. I've only had two girlfriends in my whole life. I mean, I had my high school girlfriend Becca for three years, and then I had Vanessa Shaw, who and and it was love both times. And then in between, and then I had Aaron, and I'm married. In between was just a good time. <laughs> I, I never dated anyone for two weeks a month six months it was three years three years and then now 20 moving on to forever do you have uh, any pictures of you and the the heidi fleiss escort that you met when you were 15 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like like an old polaroid but i'm sure there's something out there but no oh i think of all the pictures that must be out there of me in my in my late teens and twenties that are extremely compromising, having, I have no idea where they are naked pictures, ripped underwear, just partying. I have no idea. They're out there, I guess, unless they've just been lost and destroyed. That's what you have to pray for. (laughs) I know. Every night you should get on your knees and pray that those pictures have been lost and or ripped up. Or the opposite. I mean, if they came out, you know, it would be hysterical for me, you know. It's nothing bad. Yeah. It's just me maybe naked or, you know, in, in some sort of a G-string. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You know what? Th- then there's the other stuff to go up the chain for family is I have so much stuff with my dad. I have mm. so much stuff, you know, that that is me interviewing my dad when I'm 20. And he's... Ooh. And I'm talking to him about stuff that's making him cry. And it's just, yeah, it's, there's a lot in there and there are count, I mean, thousands of hours of games. Well, you know, Stern did this and, and it makes me want to do it too, where he sat his parents down and he interviewed them about their life. And, and now it's there forever, you know, and I would love to do that with my parents while they're still here, where you take the time, you set it up and you just put the camera on them and let's start at the beginning. Yeah. You know, and you space it out over a week or whatever. And now you have this footage that will be f- there forever for great grandkids to look at. 
Right. You know? Well, a friend of mine who listens to this podcast regularly and sends me notes and jokes and whatever on stuff that we say had that as a business. They went up in the attic, he and his brother, and they put on an old tape of their grandma talking. They had an old player and the old tape of their grandma, and it instantly brought them back to when their grandmother mm. was younger and when they were younger. And the grandma was going through all of you know the family history and whatever, and it's they turned that into a business where they had full-on camera crews come. And in your case, you know, you have access. Mm. But in your case, you know, sit your mom and Kurt down and have them go through the aunt that you never met and have them talk mm-hmm. about, you know, their childhood when they were little and who they spend time with and talk about them and show pictures of your great-grandpa or whatever it might be. Yeah. And there's some value in that. And if you are nostalgic at all, you hear that voice, you see those pictures, you instantaneously go back to that time in your life or go to a time that you never knew about and learn about from whence you come. So I, I think yeah. there... I. You should interview your mom and Kurt and do mm-hmm. it in your way, which will yeah. be, I mean, that would be golden. You could almost, yeah. I mean, your mind starts to, mind, mind does, starts to run wild on, you know, what, what could be. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Go through Indeed. all of her yeah. movies, but she'll tell <laughs> yeah. you. So Trudy's senior project, which only, only picked one, they didn't pick it, was doing a behind the scenes with me. And having her as she was going to do like a documentary on me. And and I thought the value in it was that I would answer questions in a different way to my daughter than I would answer to the writer from USA Today. Just like the same would mm-hmm. be with your mom would answer things mm-hmm. for you, especially if it was only in the family and really not going to be put out anywhere. But something for your kids and Kate's kids and right on down the line to know more about the family that's been here before them and and something that they can keep forever from two people that you know can can yeah put words and then even and thoughts together even even getting into you know my father's side of things like that's a whole family dynamic and a whole family tree that you know we're just learning more about but i would love to get into the weeds there you yeah. know there's that show. Have you seen that show? I don't know what it's called, where they really get deep into the DNA, you know, of these actors and performers, and they go way, way back and really trace their roots and where they came from and who their great, 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 great grandparents were. Right. Have you seen that show? Is it called Dateline? No. Behind the music? Maybe behind the music. Maybe for some, it's Dateline. Right. But. It's so interesting that John Lithgow had one and he was like crying on it and, you know, just uh, just understanding who his ancestors were and how he sort of relates to his life. And it was pretty cool. I would love to do something like that. I met John Lithgow at a bar in New York and, you know, I, I, I just I said hi. He might have said hi to me and I it was a sports fan. So he said hello. And then I I started to um, I said to him, you know, you you don't know this, but you are a huge part of my daughter's young life because we used to play his music. He has albums, singing in the bathtub is one of them. Uh, he wrote books. One of them's Farkle McBride. The other one's Macabre. We John Lithgow is such an entertainer and so smart and funny 
and a great actor, as you see in The Crown. He's playing Winston Churchill and, and anything mm -hmm. the guy's ever done. But he has a, a whole side of his career that is catering to kids' entertainment, and it's great. He does voices. I didn't even know this. Oh, he's I so good. I had no good. idea. The illustrations are great, and the, the music is fun and funny and catchy, and I, I just was like a typical little Joe Buck fanboy on mm -hmm. uh, on John Lithgow, and, and he could not have been nicer. I was so happy when you meet somebody like that that you've enjoyed over the years, and then you don't walk away going, oh, what an asshole. He was great. Have you had those Have you had those moments where sort of the, the fantasy is, is broken, the bubbles burst when you meet that person? Most of the time like, oh, that's man. happened. That's happened in my sports broadcasting career where uh, I told one of these stories on Leno with uh, – with Barry Bonds and you know he was somebody that I was admired from a distance was a little afraid to talk to him and was dragged out there by our hitting coach Don Baylor and then he was exactly as I why I was afraid he was not nice and he's kind of come back around at the end of his career here and and apologized for not being a great great guy anyway Sarah's here look at that there's Sarah hi Sarah hi how are you thank you for joining us Oh my God! Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm Joe Hi. Buck. That's Oliver Hudson. Have you now? Have you two ever met? Because when I look through Sarah's bio, you have a lot of mutual friends. I mean, the first one that pops out is Zach Braff, but there, I, there are others. Have you two met? Joe, we're uh, we're so Hollywood. We're so we, Hollywood. We have so many. We're so Hollywood. We yeah. I don't think. <laughs> we are best friends. We just we never met. But we're best friends because um, we're in Hollywood. Oh. We've, never, we've never crossed paths. That, no, I know. That's shocking to me. I know. I stay in my house most of the time. I do you too. Know? Like even pre-pandemic. Um, and then obviously yeah. for the past year so much. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I'm but so hey. Ready. I'm so ready for the roaring 2020s. I can't wait. I know. Well, that's what's being predicted, you know, that's what's being predicted. I mean, I can't wait to go to like some sort of a dive bar, you know, with sticky floors, shoulder to shoulder and just sort of drink and be with random human beings, I which know. normally I'm not, you know, that's not my thing necessarily, but I know, but I think it's, I'm looking summer. forward to it. It might, it might, I think it might. Well, I just, Joe and I were just together in Mexico. We had a little fun vacation and I flew, I, you know, I flew for the first time and it was crazy. Did it feel It was crazy. There were so many people, first of all, you know, and then they jam us on this bus, on this, one of these shuttles to get to the airplane. I'm like, and my wife is, is like, this can't be good. You know, I mean, we're, we're sardines in there. Right. And it was just kind of, kind of everyone's wearing a mask, but it was kind of back to normal. Oh, Strange that's though. Fantastic. That is just like music to my ears. I'm in Canada, so we're like a little bit behind on the opening up from you guys right now. Um, but soon. So mm -hmm. are you in Canada because of your childhood and growing up where you grew up? Are you working up there? What are you doing right now? Yeah, so I uh, I grew up here and then I moved back um, a few years ago. So I've been pandemicking up here. How's it been though? I mean, being home, at least where you, you know, grew up and is it, is it double-edged or are you happy? Are you a happy camper? I am a very happy camper in the sense that like, I mean, I always thought I'd raise my kids here. 
Yeah. Then my son was six and I was like, wait, I'm not, I'm not raising my kids there. That was the plan. He's supposed to be on a hockey team and on the ski team and what's going on. And yeah. uh, so I moved back and then I was lucky. My last job actually was up here at Firefly Lane. And that was really just like such a gift and so fun to be just working from home and not, you know, getting on a plane and, and flying away from the kids. So that part was, was great, but, um, no, I love it. I mean, it's, um, I loved LA and, and as we've already discussed, Oliver and I had plenty of friends, mm-hmm. so it's, that part was fine. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like it's just a different, it's a different pace, you know, it's a different pace of life and it's, it's things that I grew up doing like skiing was my favorite thing in the world. It was my, my first job. I was a ski instructor and I, like we were, on skis at five. And I had my kids, I had my kids on skis in between my skis at like one and a half, but it was, you know, only a few times a year. And, and then when, you know, like they can go skiing on Thursdays after school with their buddies. And, um, that's so great. I mean, I, I toy with this all the time. I was born and raised in LA. You know, we, we, we've also been back and forth from Colorado for 30 something years. I want to get out of here, you know, I really do. But my kids have their friends and I'm sort of stuck in a way. But the fantasy is is to just get out of Los Angeles, you know? I mean, but with what we do, I feel like I have to be here. But then do I have to be here? I don't- you know, are you going back? Yeah. I mean, I, before the pandemic, I was flying back to LA probably every six weeks. Um, and, um, and that was just really, it was fun. Cause then, you know, you get to yeah. still see everybody, not miss everyone too much, but also kind of have your life here. And I feel like so much of our jobs are traveling away for work anyways, mm-hmm. that I think having your home base somewhere else is actually kind of cool and cool for the kids. But I do get it. The dynamic of your, like, I, I did it when my son was six and my daughter was zero. And so mm-hmm. it, um, I feel like I like snuck in. I know it gets so much more complicated as they get bigger and, you know, the I, I know. Planted and their buddies become such a huge part of their life. And they're now what, 11 and five ish somewhere in there. Yeah. I, 11 and five. I have to, I, last week it happened. She turned five. I feel like I want to lie about her age. Cause I feel like four <laughs> sounds like a baby, but there's something <laughs> about five. That's just like, I just have two big kids now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. You mean for your own benefit, you want to lie about their age. So yeah, that it sounds me, like they're just young little babies. And so, yeah, yeah no, I, I get that. Four year old baby who's just like pretty much just like super close to the womb. Five sounds like you're just out in the world and you're just, I don't know, it's just so grown up. She's so grown up. But um, it's a funny. No, I know. I have 13, 11, and seven, two boys, little girl. And Rio is my little girl and she's sort of the, you know, the barometer. She's the marker of what you were saying. And, and, and we have passed that. We're, we're done. And my wife and I look at each other and it's, you know, it, it, gets, it gets different and almost better. But then you sort of long for what it was. But then at the same time, you're like, oh, my God, we can now we have more of a life because we don't have to tend to them every five seconds. But she is she's such a little girl now and in first grade and it's over and we have these moments of, Oh my God. Wow. Can you believe it? You know, we want to bring everyone back to a certain age and 
it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I know. I know. And I love, like, it's just so hard because like, you just, you want that, that baby stage is like, and they're so tiny and then they're toddlers and they're saying all these ridiculous things, but you're so underslept and it's so hard. And then yeah. you get out of it and you're like, oh, I miss that. But do I? Yeah. You miss oh, it yeah. looking back on it, but when you're <laughs> in it. So I, so I have 24 and 21 year old daughters and three year old twin boys. So I have been there, done it was an empty nester for 44 seconds and then started it back around. And at 52 now, I just turned 52, it's a lot. I mean, it is, the the years are quick and the days are long and you're just, you're trying to get to every benchmark in the day. It's like, okay, what are, what are we going to do to entertain these two people until lunch? And then how are we going to get to nap? And then how the hell are we going to get to bedtime? <laughs> and it's just every day you're racking your brain and uh, yeah, uh, trust me, you guys are probably in a little bit better place uh, with having a little more time to yourself, I would yeah. imagine. Not in a pandemic. And I feel like no. exactly like what you're saying too is like, it's like, you know, I always, I felt like it's like being on an airplane when you, you bring all the things to, to really distract them and entertain them. And you've gone through like every toy and every board game and every book and every, you know, coloring book that you brought. And you're down to like the wrapper on the spoon, the plastic <laughs> spoon. And then you're down and you're five minutes into like a five hour flight. And that's how it felt with this pandemic. I was like, we <laughs> did it all in the first month. And I was like, what do we do now? Like we did like <laughs> rainbow pasta where we were like using beet and purple blueberry tea flour to color the pasta and, you know, doing all of the things and, Pratfall classes and you know just pratfall classes for ideas. You, that's that's interesting. Doing pratfalls, teaching uh, a young maybe a Chevy Chase of the future. Yeah, the little to, Chevy Chase stuff. Around. I was thinking Chevy Chase. That's my goal. That's my goal. I was yeah. like, well, what are the important things? If they're not going to be in school, what are the key items I want them to come out with? And obviously, pratfall was the first yeah, one. Physical just, comedy. Physical comedy. I was raised on Three's Company. I used to do it. I used to like run to the couch and just like fall flat on my face and be like, how did they not hurt themselves? So I set up like a stack of books and I had my kids and my nieces. Um, and I was like, okay, so you're, you're going towards the books. You want to make sure it seems like you don't see the books, but you know where they are and you turn around mm -hmm. at the last second and then you fail. And my four-year-old, cause I'm just going to keep on, if it's okay with you guys lying. Yeah, no, yeah. She yeah. She's four. She's four. Just yeah. giving her, just going like doing loops and just failing and loving it. And, um, what if she came out of that and was like, yeah, this is great, but mom, when are we going to the Regal Beagle? I want to meet Larry. I want to meet uh, Mr. Furley. I want to meet, I want to meet the whole, I want to meet Chrissy. There are 15 people that played the blonde girl, uh, including Suzanne Summers. And I want to meet them all. And uh, if we don't do that part, then this is a bullshit exercise. <laughs> right, that was the OG show for flipping out characters. Oh my yeah. God. And the great Jack oh, yeah. Tripper. I mean, they're just, oh. what an unbelievable, beautiful actor. If you like conversations with actors like today's episode with Sarah Chalk, then dive into the Daddy Issues archives and listen to our conversation with Danny Trejo, where we discuss everything from Danny's upbringing to his time in prison to paying it forward, fatherhood, fame, and so much more. I remember one time we were sitting on the couch and, and my daughter had real straight hair, but I remember I was braiding her hair one time and I was looking at all the pictures I had of me in the past and stuff. And, and I was just kind of real nostalgic. And she kind of said, Daddy, what's the matter? I says, oh, I'm thinking about 
how I was before I met you guys. And uh, my daughter says, how were you, daddy? And my, my little son jumped up and goes, ooh, he was a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Stay. Sit. Stay. We'll be back right after this short break with more from today's guest, Sarah Chalk. Where are you? Where are you with technology and your kids, even as far as the pandemic goes? You know, because some people started off as no tech, and then halfway through this, it's like, oh God, here's you know, go watch the Human Centipede or Faces of Death. I don't even give a shit. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, that was that was us. I mean, at the beginning, I was just like, yeah, we were, you know, my my we had like different family members zooming in, and my uncle zoomed in and did like a whole thing on the, you know, the powers of government in a time of crisis. And my sister did a lesson on the United Nations. And (laughs) there's nothing that your four-year-old's more into than the powers of government during a pandemic. (laughs) She, I mean, you should see her talking about that while she's falling. It's very, it's unbelievable. She's like, can we just get COVID and forget this? What the hell is he talking about? (laughs) Um, But yeah, now it's just like, yeah, watch one of the weird things about like, and that's the thing is, you know, I, it's just like, fine, okay, we just need the screens, go. And you'll put on some, like, cute thing. And then they're so smart now. She just all of a sudden has, like, gotten into YouTube and she's watching another kid open up a toy. Oh, like, mm-hmm. I, it just, oh. yeah, where I am with technology and the pandemic um, is, yeah, you just have to do what you where do. Where are we with this? And I say we because I'm including myself. I, I don't even know. This is just we're evolving. Okay. We're constantly evolving just the human species and, and, and technology is now just part of our evolution. And now we're looking at our kids just engrossed in these screens, watching total horseshit, you know, but we seem to be okay with it because it lets us off the hook for five minutes. I mean, are we, what do we do? Is this, are we fucking them all up? Like what's I happening? So. I think we are. I mean, we grew up with so the opposite, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, like go you know, outside. Like How about go that? outside, see in 12 hours. And um, I don't know. I mean, and I know so little about technology that, you know, my, my son's 11 and he's the one who sets up the whole thing for all of the things. And when I did all my records for Rick and Morty, it was like Groundhog's Day for every time for them because they'd be like, mm-hmm. yeah, take the, the thing and drag it over and click on Pro Tools and you got the thing. And I'm like, go back <laughs> oh f- five steps. Like I can do it now. But I'm just a baby when it comes to all of those things. I just decided not to be interested in that. But you're, are you in Vancouver? Are you in Vancouver, by the way? Yeah. Okay. So you're in uh, such a beautiful spot. I mean, I love Vancouver so much. I've worked there more than any other place. My parents actually moved there for five years because my brother played hockey, played junior up there and went to high school and the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Again, what a great place to raise your kids. There's so much to do, and it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I know all of my uh, nieces and nephews play hockey, and my littlest one has started, and my and my son plays. And uh, so my sister and I were like, okay, we have to learn. I mean, we are the only Canadians that do not know how to ice skate. And mm-hmm. so we thought, okay, we have to learn just so we can at least play stick and puck with the kids. 
So we got all the gear, like every pad. Cause I, like, I'm not going to be 40 and learning a new sport and not have every corner of my body padded. So we get all the pads and step <laughs> on the ice and only then realize like, oh shit, this is actually not doable. You cannot learn this sport at 40. It's so intimidating. The ice is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the drawbacks. Falling onto ice is not like snow it or your bed or a, a couch. Or Jack Tripper flipping onto the back of the couch and doing his thing. Yeah, I, I that that part of it for me being in St. Louis, which is where I am, Sarah. It seems like there's about ten minutes a year where you can actually go outside. So we were not only in a pandemic, but we were going through either a hundred and three percent humidity or zero degrees outside. So we then we had these little kids. And they're great. So basically, I've just put them all in virtual worlds. They just wear virtual headsets around all day, and they they, they think they're ski. That's how they're learning how to ski. They're doing it right now. They're in a ski school. Ski school. They're really good. Yeah, they're fantastic. They they yeah. Virtual, that, but it is innate. Works very well. Tell me how it's innate. How does my three year old know how to swipe? And I guess that's because they see me. But I, it it seems a hell of a lot easier than it did when I took computer in middle school. I know it is. It's so, I mean, you wonder, so your, your kids were like kind of their whole like age two to age three in this pandemic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like it's going to affect all these, every age group in a different way, but I just feel like it's such a, you know, for your kids, it's like a third of their life. For mine, it's like a quarter of her life. Like how does that play out in a few years? Like the things that my daughter will say, she'll be like, well, I don't know if that's very COVID friendly or mom, <laughs> mama, when I'm going to get my, my vaccine shot into my arm. And I, I didn't know if she was worried about the shot or wanted it. And I said, are you, are you, how are you feeling about it? And she said, I can't wait to get it. So oh. snuggle time to get everyone. I'm so sick of these seminars, these webinars you're putting us through. I don't care about government. I'm four. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> So sad. Like she said to me she, a while ago, she was like, Mama, um, can you call the world and ask when coronavirus will be over? And then clearly she'd been thinking about it all day because she was like, Mama, do you have the world's number? <laughs> <laughs> Heartbreaking. Like these kids are going to be, you know, it's a long time now. Now it's just, it's too long. It's a lot. It's a big chunk. Oh, I know. And you grew up in Vancouver, right? I mean, that's where you were born and raised. I did. And is your whole family there? Yep. Still? Yep. So you are, you're, you're just family bound. I mean, are you guys all together? And yeah, yeah. I mean, we all, we all, uh, you know, my, my kids are growing up with their, so tight with their cousins. It's been so great. So lucky they kind of run around as like a pack of six. And, uh, and, you know, the age range goes from four, now five, I guess, to, mm-hmm. and, um, so, to what age? Sorry, you cut out there. How how old's the oldest? Seventeen. Seventeen. Wow. Seventeen down to four plus. Plus ish. And you're the middle of three girls. Yes. Is that right? Probably okay. The actor, I guess. I feel like the middle always. It's always what ends up happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It it all it all makes sense. And and uh, your childhood up there, growing up, was probably when you compare to stories that you hear. Uh, in your day job down in LA, probably pretty idyllic. Yeah, I uh, I kind of um, you know won the lottery when it comes to parents. I got I got good ones. So um, you know I uh, 
I love listening to your podcast and it makes me, you know, just reflect on, you know, my own dad and how um, you guys were talking about in one of them about how just, you know, it, you realize how uncommon it is as you grow up to have a great relationship with your dad and a dad who was there for you. And our dad um, worked from home, which I think was super uncommon in the 70s and the 80s. And um, he's a lawyer and my parents did divorce mediation together. So his background's in law. My mom's was in counseling. They did divorce mediation together. And then they also had a nonprofit adoption agency where they, oh my God. um, uh, and, and really included us in that. It was really oh. an interesting way to grow up. They would take us with them to orphanages all over the world from when we were about three years old and on. Cause they were like, we want you guys to see how the whole world lives. Um, and, uh, and wow. so it was, it was really, wow. really interesting. What a gift. Yeah. Maybe you do have the world's number, by the way, but may, what a <laughs> gift to uh, to be able to leave whatever cocoon you grow up in. And I, I remember my daughter getting in trouble for something at school and the punishment, which was kind of a, a way that I educated her, was grabbing a book called Children Just Like Me from children around the world and just seeing page after page of how a kid grows up in Belgium and a kid grows up in... Botswana and a kid grows up in London and a kid in Paris and it just was it was a great way but you were going to these places that that's wow yeah my one of my like earliest memories my sister my older sister's got a really good long-term memory and I have a, sh- a sh- good short-term memory my long-term one I uh but I mine my my most uh like significant ones in my brain is we had anytime we would go all of our neighbors and friends would know we were going and drop off stuff and we'd bring suitcases with us and kind of sometimes bring them to the orphanages or sometimes we would just be in really poor areas in this in the in and basically uh take out one of the suitcases. And there was this one time where we had given dolls and toys to all these kids. And there was just kind of one kid standing there. And I remember my sister looking, I think she was five and she looked at this, this one kid who didn't have anything. And she went into the car and got her, like, it was like her doll that she took everywhere with her. That was like her very favorite thing and ran and gave this doll to this kid. Did you actually see your parents yeah. high five after that moment happened as a dad <laughs> with my girls? Forget the little boys. My girls did that and, and they would, I feel like, but that's like, oh, it worked. We, we did it. Well, we, I, I, I was going to bring that up when you said, hopefully I can do that with my kids, but it, it's, it's almost like they were so amazing and they, they, they provided you with this sort of experience that has probably stuck with you forever. And now is there a pressure to to be that for your children and say, okay, well, you need to see the world as well. You need to experience what I did and have this perspective. We, um, my sister, um, who runs their adoption agency now, um, she has been to the orphanages with her kids and mine, when they went one time I was working and one time they were too little to go. So it's something that I really Mm want to do. Um, but, um, it's, it's still been, it's still, even though we haven't gone to the orphanages with me, it's still been a large piece of their life. And, um, it, uh, yeah, you kind of, you know, want to figure out a way in this world. How do you leave some sort of a, a mark and, you know, want your, well, it's, it's, it's so true because it's such a, it's so fast paced now. And it's all about I, 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 me, 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 what's in it for me? You know, how do I survive? You know, what, what, what can I consume that's going to make me feel good? 
And, and, you know, it's important to try to take our kids out of that mindset and put them into a giving space. And I'm, I, I'm not saying that I do it well enough. I don't. It's hard. It's, it's, I need to dedicate more time to that, I, I think. And even, in, even talking to you, I'm starting to feel guilty, <laughs> you know, because- Mission accomplished. That was I, sort of why I was-, I was Yeah, thinking. thank you, Sarah. Sort of because how? I'm like, Jesus, I, 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 I need to do more. I need to do more. <laughs> this is an intervention so- for you, Oliver. <laughs> thank you. Yes. No, you're a great Thank dad. You. You're a great dad. And you have kids that, that I think reflect how you live your life. I, I don't think there's – some of this stuff has to seep in through osmosis. Seeing is understanding and, and seeing you get joy out of putting a smile on somebody else's face is is the best way you can teach your kid. And And I think – you know, for your sister to do that, I mean, that just gives me chills to go out and give her own. And we're doing that right now and trying to teach our three-year-olds we're about to move. That's why nothing's behind me. Uh, and it's like, okay, kids, we're giving away the toys that we're not playing with to mm-hmm. other kids who don't have a room dedicated to toys. And that is such a form that has to be learned a little bit. And it's such a, they, they're like, what? What do you mean? I'm, I've been picked that up in eight months, but I really need that. And that's not going to, we're not going to give into that mm-hmm. is what I'm so saying. True. So that good, good on you. I feel like this pandemic also just gives everyone such perspective on what you actually need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's easy to be, you know, for me, just speaking personally, when I get wrapped up in my own anxiety, a lot of the be- the best way out sometimes is to become selfless because Essentially, anxiety is a selfish feeling. It's all about like what I'm feeling. And for me, it's like, okay, well, just project out, start giving, start thinking about other people. And then it, it I can only speak from my own experience, but it eases, it eases that, oh, that stress. So much. Oh my God. I, uh, I don't know that you can go through being a parent without huge anxiety, unless you're superhuman. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. I mean, yeah, oh, if, I if, if their safety and, and now having boys as opposed to girls, not that they're not, you know, <laughs> the world's not a dangerous place a thousand times over for young women. And I've experienced that and I've seen some of that. But for these boys that are just flopping, they're doing their own pratfalls just with no supervision. And then all of a sudden it's like thumb and thud and then just tears and just keeping them. I think it was Rob Lowe who said it on our podcast, like the first 17 years, 18 years, you're just trying to keep your kids alive, whether it's physically or with the other traps that are out there as they grow a little bit older. So it's, it is anxiety filled and it's, it does not go away. I can tell the two of you as a parent of a 24 and a 21 year old, the, the worries change, but they don't ever leave. I remember a friend of mine telling me when I had like hadn't slept in days, I had newborns and she was just like, that's adorable that you haven't slept because you know, your baby's in your house with you because once you have teenagers and they're gone and you're not sleeping because you've got no fucking clue where they are, then call me. And I was like, it's so oh, yeah. true. It's so true. Oh God. When they get their license, like when they're 16, oh. then, then tell me how you're sleeping. Vomit. I can't even imagine it. And my, my dad was like very into safety. It was an interesting balance of very sort of like 
hands off and, you know, trust gave us a lot of trust, but so worried and so all about safety. And like, we were wearing helmets before helmets were a thing. Like I remember when I was a ski instructor, he made me wear a helmet. And I was like, dad, I'm the only one in the class with a helmet and I'm the teacher. And, and it was just like, we had like caller ID this day it came out. We had cell phones before anyone when it was like the huge brick and like mm-hmm. hard, like a weird phone. And Gordon Gecko and Sarah. Yeah. I said Gordon Gecko and Sarah had the brick phone just making sure he could check in. That Oh god. But but did he walk that line though? As you kind of you know alluded to that where he's giving you your freedom, your space to make mistakes, but at the same time he's got his grip. Yes, and I try and do that with my kids, but I don't always know how. Like I don't know how they how he did it, but I like I didn't have a curfew like all my friends did. I didn't get grounded like all of my friends did. But there was something about the look in his eyes when you disappointed him that was worse than any of that. So it was mm-hmm. like, you know, he would give us rope um, and, you know, but we were still allowed to, like for my 16th birthday, I said, the only thing I want is to have 20 friends over to paint my room, to like graffiti all my walls. And mm-hmm. um, they said Yes. <laughs> and so I said, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I've booked you guys a hotel room and it was this hot springs that was like two hours away. And they were like, no, that's not what's happening. <laughs> oh my and God. So, what a move. <laughs> I know. I can't, I was 16. Like it's insane. And, um, so they said, we'll let you do it and we trust you and we'll give you the house for the night to paint your walls with your friends and we will stay five minutes away and you have to call us if there's a problem. Um, That's great. And so, uh, so yeah, so they did, they did give us a lot of rope and like, they were very much the parents that were like, we would much rather, we have an open, honest relationship with you. So you actually tell us what's happening and you tell us where you're going. And they would, you know, my dad was the one that we would all call who would come pick you up, no questions asked and drive everybody home. We had like a 12 seater passenger van, which is what I learned to drive on because of safety. (laughs) That was like, if you're in an accident, might as well be in a tank. And so, um, so I would, uh, I would call my dad and it would be two in the morning and he would pick everybody up, fill the van and drive everybody home. Wow. That's oh. so great. I mean, that's so great. I'm trying to establish that with my kids. And honestly, it's that trust. It's that just tell me anything. You can tell me anything. When you lie to me is when I get pissed off. When you tell me the truth and just say it, I'm good. We all make mistakes. It's part of life. Just be upfront with me because I can, I'm there for you. Please, please. I plead with them like all the time, you know? I know. I know. And I don't know how, I mean, I'm not in the teenager years yet. I'm terrified of them. You got 11 though. You know, I mean. I have 11. I have 11. So I know it's it's close. um... But I'm going to guess you never took that rope. And in essence, hung yourself with it. You you took the rope, you proved yourself worthy of having the rope. And so then they let a little bit more out each time to where they could leave the house and you were 16 and they knew they weren't going to get a call from the fire department that the thing just burned down. That That's how it works. And that's And I always trusted my girls. They never gave me one reason to not trust them and they never blew it. They never... As far as I know, I mean, I, I know they did their own things. I'm not naive. Yeah, I'm not stupid. Right, but, right, but they right, never right, right. gave me a reason to not trust them. And and so then that's that. But that's the work you're doing now. That's the work you're doing when they are 
four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, so that when they're 14, they're not waiting, they're not begging for you to go out so that they can light a match and, you know, burn the house down. That That's just, that's the time you're putting in. I think that's so true. It's totally the time you're putting in now. I just, I feel like with your oldest one, you're always, it's always the first time you've gone through that stage. So we're always all so far out of our depths. Like for the most part, I didn't, you know, like I stayed within those, you know, they, my parents still, they still had boundaries and showed us the edge, but, um, you know, there was still, still there's something to what you said, not lucky. There's something to what you said though, because it's exactly how I felt when I was a kid getting that look from my father that I just blew it was far more debilitating than any punishment that I could ever be handed. And so I never really got in trouble. And I always wanted to be around him. He traveled, he worked, he was the opposite of your dad. He traveled a ton and I, a ton. And I didn't want him to, when he was in town, have to be the disciplinarian dad. I wanted him to be my friend and want to hang out with me and bring me down to the ballpark and go on road trips with him and whatever. So I, I just didn't want to disappoint him. And I think when you have that respect for your parents and you had it for yours, hopefully my kids had it for me. I believe they still do. And my little ones will. They, that disappointment is is the guilt and the thing that weighs on some kid who's going, should I? I don't know. This is, I don't I know this probably isn't right. They'll probably err on the, on the side of caution or doing the right thing unless they're little serial killers, which I don't think I have yet. Let's <laughs> oh. hope, man. Were you a... Were you a good kid for the most part? I was a good kid for the most part. I mean, I, I definitely had that feeling of I didn't want to let my parents down, like in terms of that look. And I, I feel like, um, you know, I definitely pushed the, pushed the boundaries a little bit towards the end of high school, but I, I, was, I was a good kid. I had, you know, and my parents let us, my, uh, I have a sister who's 14 months older and then one that's 13 years younger. And mm. so, um, like my sisters in my grade at school were very close and everybody was kind of like all friends with each other. So I remember my parents towards the end of high school, they would let us have parties because they would rather it be under their own roof. And sometimes they would get really big and they would be upstairs and um, <laughs> until the point where they would come down and say it's over. But I remember my little sister was three and she would come downstairs and she'd be like <laughs> cooking on her plastic stove. And like making yeah. During and the party. During the party and passing, uh, passing, you know, plastic pizza out. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, you got to be aware, though. You got to be aware of that one asshole that got into the party that wants to see the three-year-old. Hey, have a sip of this. Let's see if we can give it to the cat and we'll give it to the three-year-old. See what happens. <laughs> totally. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> If you're enjoying this episode of Daddy Issues, don't keep it to yourself. We beg you every time to share the love and tell a friend about Daddy Issues and go subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss the rest of our conversation with Sarah coming up right after this short break. Uh, Work-wise, do you... uh, where are you with, I know you can do voiceover, so you're good with that. And I've read where um, Firefly Lane is maybe coming back. I'm asking for a friend. The aforementioned 24 and 21-year-old daughters and my wife are all obsessed with your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope so. I would love to do more. It was such a, it was one of those like 
just uh, really cool jobs where everything kind of came together. I love the people and I love the part and, and it was shooting in my hometown and, and uh, the writing was fun and it, you know, constantly shoved me far outside of my comfort zone. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just a gift. I'd love to do more. What do you worry about as a parent that you are not successful, as successful as you think you should be at? You know, is there one or two things where it's like, everything? is it all of, yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, do you question, do you question how you do things and do you work off just instinct? Do you compare yourself to how you were raised or friends and how they're doing it? Yeah. I think like, you know, I have a boy and a girl very far apart in age. They're so different. They're so different to Mm -hmm. parents. So it almost feels like even though I've done it once, it's completely different with my daughter. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think in, do I worry about doing something right? I mean, the only thing I worry about is, you know, a while ago, someone said like, what do you want your kid to be? And someone said happy. And they're like, no, kind. You want them to be kind. And I feel like that's like the only thing that I would wish for is for that. And I feel like, you know, um, my son came home the other day with a story from the playground and I was just like, yeah, I did like a, a secret like dance. Cause I was yeah. just like, yeah. he was up for the kid that was being given a hard time. And I was like, that's all I was talking to him like this. And I was like, I, I sound like I'm talking to you like I'm mad, but I'm so damn proud of you. Cause that's all yeah. I want is you stick up for that kid. And, mm-hmm. um, and then with my, with my daughter, I feel like, you know, she's at that age where they're really, she's lo- they're looking for the edge and they're looking for the boundaries and the nose and, and, uh, and even, and, and also I think the pandemic really does play into it. I think there's in, at that age where structure is everything, like there's none of that. There's no, there's no structure. There's no, there's no floor. They don't know every day the goalposts are changing. So there's no reliability. It's like, oh, now it's not snuggle time with Oppa Manani who are my parents. Now it is. Now we can't. Now we're not seeing anyone. Now we're only seeing our safe six. Now nobody comes inside. Now we have masks on. So it's like this constant goalpost changing. They have no, you know, um, you know, frame of reference for what's coming. And, and how do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, do you, do you bring it up and say, look, I know the world is nuts right now and we just have to roll with it. Or do you just sort of, you know, let it happen and see how they react to it? Well, for sure. I think, you know, we were raised like anything you can talk about, you can handle and anything you don't talk about, you can't. So I always let both of them try and just as much as we can, even if I'm doing it wrong, just talk about it. I did reach out to, um, uh, somebody about, about just like, how do you just with the pandemic, things are so hard. You're at home so much. You're becoming your kid's confidant, their teacher, their friend, their parent, all of the things, um, mm. you know, during a lot of the parts that we, when we were so locked down. And so I did two things. I started listening to, I mean, podcasts have been my favorite thing and I love your guys' podcast. And I listened to a couple parenting podcasts, like there's Dr. Becky at Good Inside. And she had this one idea that was, you know, you're constantly in a power struggle with a kid that age. So how do you get outside of the power struggle? So she had this one idea that I thought sounded, okay, I'm going to try this. It was basically like, Mm -hmm. give your kids some agency at that age to make a decision on their own. So instead of saying, you get to the door, get your shoes on, you have to do this, you have to do that. You get them to feel like they're doing it. So her idea was you close your eyes and you say, I'm going to close my eyes. And if when I open them, Frankie's at the door, 
with her shoes on and her coat on, I'm going to freak out. I'm literally going to freak out. I don't even know what I'm going to do. So I tried that a few times and it worked like so well. I was like, I don't even understand. We're having these huge power struggles. Like we have to go, we have to go. We're late. Everybody in the car. And then it was just like smooth sailing. So the other day we're at, uh, we're having dinner and um, my son asked for a glass of water and we like to try and teach them to be like self-sufficient. So like, just, you know, mm-hmm. if you want a glass of water, you know, where the drawers, you know, where go the- get it. So, yeah. And I'm like racing around cooking and cleaning. And he, he's like, mom, can you get me some water? And I'm like, I was getting something. And he goes, if I close my eyes and when I open them, <laughs> my mom has gotten me a glass of water. I'm going to, I'm literally, I'm going to freak out. I was laughing so hard. That's <laughs> So he's smart awesome. and funny. <laughs> oh my you God, win on crazy. both counts. You win, you win with your daughter and you won with your son. And how quick did you get him the glass of water? I got it for him so fast. He made me laugh so hard. I was like, buddy, I'm getting you a glass of water. That is amazing. That's so great. What's that podcast called? I want to check it out. He's great. It's called Dr. Becky at Good Inside. And so it's these like just strategies that, I mean, I couldn't believe how well that one works with Frankie, like clockwork every time. Like there's no more power struggles going to the door. Do you find now that you have, you have two, do you find that what you did with the first one doesn't work with the second one? I mean, 100. Oh, isn't it crazy? It's so crazy. It's so crazy. It's so crazy how different they are. It's so crazy how like, I'm like, but wait, with, with Charlie, I just did this, and then and, and that was fine. Like, why didn't why isn't this working now? It's so crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's so crazy. I mean, and then that's where we have to just adjust, you know, and really, I think, work off of our intuition as to who this little being is and what they need. And it's just so different, even though they came out of the same person and we're doing it the same way or so we think, but it's just not the same, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I don't fun. even know if it's politically correct anymore to to say that they come out, you know, having gone through the girl situation and now the boys, the boys just come out. They came out different. They like different things. They want superheroes. I don't now I'm playing catch up with these Marvel superheroes and I have no idea who anybody is. And they're asking me questions. Well, who's this one in the red cape? And who's this one that's got a red cape and a yellow face? And who's this? I, I have no idea. I don't know who any I'm on my phone Googling who these stupid things are. But people live for them, <laughs> and my kids live for them now, and that means that I have to live for these things or at least understand it and be able to explain to them. And then they're doing more physical stuff. They're flipping into their beds and they're into their cribs and they're jumping out of their cribs. And my daughter's never even, I don't, never one time jumped out of their cribs. But that's, that's just the way they, they're, they're just different. I don't care what anybody says. They come out different. They're different. Mm-hmm. And twins, too. I wanted twins so badly. I can't imagine what that experience has well, been. Well, they're really different. They're both they're IVF babies. Um, so they're twins in that they were born at the same time. But they are, one is, it feels like a foot taller than the other. The one that's shorter is like, you know, Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties. He's got the verbal <laughs> skills. He, he's like taking the SAT. And the other one is like, you know, punching his fist through the wall. So they're, they couldn't, they, one's darker haired, one's blonde. One's happy all the time. One's a little pouty and one's his mommy all the time. And it, it's just, they couldn't be any more different. So I, I, I like that on the twin game. Like I, you know, 
they can dress the same. They can dress in the same shit. It doesn't matter because they look like one of them looks like he's a year older than his brother. So it's not like you have thing one and thing two that are dressed exactly alike. They're just they're just two little kids. I don't know. That always freaked me out. It's like mom is just entertaining herself by same bowl haircut, same outfit, same shoes, same everything. And, you know, it's like a trick on the general population to go, do you know which one's which? That one's Philip. How do I know that's Philip? Because is the way his colic and his hair. And it's like, good God. No, we don't have any of that. We're good. good. We're good. I always wanted, I was like, every time I was like, are you sure there's not one more in there, please? Like, uh, well, the right. bond between two of them. I know it must be insane. I know the first few years must be so hard because you always are needed by two. Always. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no, there's no time out because, you know, my wife and I are on call when we're here and we have, we don't have a ton of help. And then you go through the pandemic and the help kind of dissipates and then you're on your own. Um, we did have two au pairs though that lived with us for different parts of the year from one was from South Africa, one uh, from Colombia. Mixed in a girl from Switzerland, uh, so they became part of the family. But then I found myself treating them like they were my daughters, and I'd be like, oh, you don't have to get up. I'll get up with the kids. Oh, you don't have to do dinner. I'll, I got, oh, they just threw Cheerios. I'll, I'll get that. Don't worry. Just go to bed or whatever you want to do. And So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, I'm a fantastic father, and I'm just such a giver <laughs> that uh, I, I just know no ends. to. I don't ever say no. That's no. the way it goes. It's all given. That's the way it goes with me. Yeah. Are you, how did, how do your kids deal with you and your career and what you do as, as an actor? Um, especially the 11 year old who probably gets it a little bit more now. And then just the time being away from them. Yeah. The 11 year old definitely gets it more. I, um, I did, uh, a kid's cartoon that's coming out and my daughter was like, can we watch it mama? And I was like, yeah, she goes, every episode, the whole season, they're all appropriate. (laughs) There's not a lot that, you know, my kids have been able to watch that I've done. Um, But um, yeah, they, they, um, you know, they, they definitely um, have loved, like they didn't really come to set a lot because I was often traveling away for work. And then this past job on Firefly, they would come and, um, and my best friend's kids came too and called me after. And she was like, so my daughter wants to be an actor and she, um, she just can't, she couldn't believe the trailer. And, uh, <laughs> and so for, for, for days after she'd be like, oh, that's so trailer. And her mom was like, what do you mean? <laughs> that's so trailer, you know, like Sarah's trailer, like the best thing in the whole world. So she yeah. has her new, her, her, she coined a new term for amazing, which is trailer. And that's um, amazing. That's so trailer. Oh, I think that has a different connotation in Missouri. Let me tell you that. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and obviously like their very favorite part about coming to set is craft service. Um, yep. They just can't believe you, the fact that there's. Do you ever base any of your choices, like you know, on on your children? Meaning, I'm only I'm just asking this because it's me, and I've done this before, where there's been opportunities that have come along, but I'm so uh, uh, probably to uh, you know a, a bad degree obsessed with my kids because my dad bailed when I was a kid, and and I've got this sort of issue of if I leave them for ten minutes, they're going to be all fucked up, you know, even though that's totally <laughs> irrational, and I know that. But do you make ever make decisions or choices based on your kids? A hundred percent. You do. Yeah, I mean, 
moving back to Canada was based on them. Yeah. And I kind of knew like, well, whatever happens work-wise will happen, but yeah, I don't care. That will, it will be what it is. And I love to work and I hope that that will continue. But I was like, I'm, I'm doing this for them. And then this like weird side effect that is, that's a way better life for me <laughs> because, like, yeah. you know, like I, I'm out, you know, hiking the dogs and I can, I mean, skiing's my favorite thing in the world and we can do that anytime. And so, yeah. um, but yeah, I think, I think once I became a parent, I think every decision is informed. By yeah. That. Do you ski Whistler? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, Chelsea, she was, she like yeah. lives, she like lives there. Yeah. yeah. You ski, been I don't, I don't her know this, her, this, but I enjoyed, I loved watching her. Oh uh, yeah. She Instagram. bought a place up there. She's like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm going to live in Whistler. It was always like my biggest regret was that I did not just like take a season up there when I was younger and just like move there and ski and teach skiing and just like do that. Um, yeah. It's one do of you my- feel like you missed parts because you were acting so young? Do you feel like you missed out on certain things like the whole finding myself and all that? I mean, you were on Roseanne as a young, what were you, mid-teens then? But you did stuff well before that. I mean, did, do you feel like you missed things? I feel like, you know, before Roseanne, so I auditioned for Roseanne when I was 16, and I think I was 17 by the time I started and before that, what I did was so minimal. Like it was like, I would like be like answering the phone in a movie of the week or like, you know, just, I was like an environmental reporter on a kid's show. So I still was going to school with my friends to the point where when I got the job on Roseanne, my agent at the time was really young and both of us didn't really know anything about the business. And I remember asking him like these hiatus weeks they speak of, can I go back to Canada to finish my grade 12 year? So I wanted to commute back and forth. So I could still do grade 12 with my friends. And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, can you please ask? Cause I'm not going to do the job otherwise. And he was like, you're what? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, you will and be doing it. You will be doing it. And so I would fly down for like, I'd go work for two or three weeks and then come back. We'd tape night Thursday night. I'd get on a flight on Friday morning, go to school Friday afternoon. So I could be at the party at the power lines on Friday night. Um, because wow. I grew up sort of feeling like that was really important. Um, to, uh, and, and at the same time, um, do I feel like I missed out on things? Yes. Like, I feel like the biggest one would probably be college, like an actual real college experience because I mm. did go to university, but I was, um, working at the same time. So I was kind of like faxing was the days of the fax machine. I'd fax papers to my friends and they would turn them in for me. And then I would, I was kind of like, kind of not able to really do both fully. So I decided to, like, I was three and a half years into my degree and I had half a year to go. And I was like, I'll just, I'm going to finish it later. And then, um, I remember like getting like the pol- political science correspondence course box in the mail and going like, what, what, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I tried the same <laughs> thing. It's impossible. It's impossible. Like, Oh no, I'll just, I'll do it on my own time. I'll do it. And that my own time never arrived. I was like, I, what do you mean? I got to learn this myself. I can't get somebody else's notes and kind of float my way through the test. It's if you want really want to learn it, you should do every class by correspondence, which I guess is kind of what kids are almost doing. I know. These right? days. I know. It's so true this whole past year. Um, so yeah, that's kind of one thing. Like when I think about, you know, you're not supposed to try and live out your own life through your children. But I think that I'm already like, okay, I really think you should play the guitar. And um, I oh, have been here, but I've learned to play it. And I think you should go to um, University of Montreal. And <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'll try not to do that. 
Oh, I know. I know. What about what about your dad and and when you were going to L.A. and, and becoming an actor? You know, that's a tough a tough gig for the dad for a father to be like, all right, go ahead, go down to L.A. Holy shit! Especially like a dad who like has three daughters and is pretty worried about yeah. all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think well. So initially, when I went, I was seventeen, and so you have to have a parent guardian. So then that left my sister who was a year older with my three-year-old sister and my dad. So I remember we'd get back and the neighbors would be like, so Angie, to my mom, they'd be like, so I think Doug sent Piper to school in like pajamas because he put her like a onesie and like drop her off. They'd be like, Doug, that is not, that is pajamas. Um, And so it was kind of like this thing where, you know, everybody, yeah, I remember, I remember getting to LA and like, I. I, I moved to the Oakwood because that's where you're supposed to go. It's got like, you know, the yep. and the plates and the dishes, the whole thing set up for you. And then uh, 30 days after we moved in, that was condemned in the big earthquake. And mm-hmm. so then I ended up staying in this bed and breakfast and renting a room in this woman's house. And she was in the Guinness Book of World Records for her laugh, um, for having the world's longest laugh. And so that's where I would, that's where I would live. What? Like, what? That's the I remember like walking to, the, walking to work and taking the bus and everyone at Roseanne was like, nobody walks. You can't walk to work. That doesn't work here. Right. And, um, <laughs> and so, um, what was that? The uh, longest laugh? Yeah. World's longest laugh. So like a kind of a wheezy, like, like a wheezing like, laugh. Like, like, a, a, like this, like she would be hired by, you know, live tape nights to go and laugh because she had this, this like, you know, very charming. Wow. Genuine laugh. God. Um, so. Maybe I should, maybe I should think about that, you know I mean? Just another source of income. Yeah. yeah I just try it. This is actually <laughs> Let me good. hear it. Yeah. Go. I feel like we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was kind of evil. Yeah. We could do it. We could like do it. Like the Brady Bunch would not hire that. There was a guy in the Brady uh-huh. Bunch that had the highest pitch laugh in the audience every time. I, like, I can't even do it. But that guy was there for every taping, or they just ran the same laughs for right, the la- every same joke. Laugh track. Same oh. laugh track. But that that what an interesting way to uh, be introduced to. And was, she was never in your audience, was she? <laughs> no, I think she – I mean, she did come once. But, um, but no, it was like – it was definitely – like walking into a world that I knew nothing about and my family knew nothing about. We didn't have any frame of reference for it. There was nobody I knew that was part of that world or part of that business. So I remember going down there and, uh, you know, it was at a time when like the show was the number one show on television. And I remember telling my friends when I got the job and I told like a few people and it spread around a party that night to everybody. And it just sounded like a lie. It sounded like the biggest lie. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to go on the Roseanne show and I'm going to be Becky. Like it didn't even make sense. And so then I remember the Roseanne show called me on Monday and they were like, so we're having cold feet about switching out Becky's. If we do it, it's going to be you, but we're going to put you on hold for four months. Oh, like, oh shit. My ass is going to be crap. Like, so I had to wait four months to find out. Like it was, it, the whole thing would have just been pretty ridiculous. So I get down there and I remember like, just, I just didn't understand anything about anything. Like it was sort of like, okay, there's a red carpet event and, um, and, uh, 
you know, here's the premiere and just be there. And so I had this dress and I had these shoes and they didn't match. And my mom's like, maybe you should buy new shoes. And I was like, why would I buy shoes when I have a pair of perfectly good shoes that fit me? Um, and then I was on the worst dress list. And then, um, <laughs> were you really? Oh, multiple times. Just cause I just didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't really oh care. God. I remember like Roseanne got nominated for a golden globe and they gave us the invitation and I couldn't go because there was a party at the power lines. And mom's like, no, I think you go to the gold. I think you, I think you go to the golden globes when Roseanne's nominated for a golden globe. I was like, Oh, okay, right. And then it was like, you know, there was like a, a battle of the network stars. And I didn't understand that that was optional. I just thought, okay, like you're on ABC or whatever. You just go and you go with your team. And then I get there. None of the rest of the cast is there. It's just me. And it's superstar American gladiators. And they give us these tiny, like little, like, you know, like a crop, like a crop top and hot pants. And, and there's like, you're like climbing up a wet volcano and like playing human pinball and like jousting with another woman in the pool. And like, I, I was just like, was just, oh my God. Are you sure this was on TV or were you, were you punked and then like <laughs> drugged in somebody's basement? No, it, was, it was the American gladiators. And it was the gladiators that were like, you know, at the top of the volcano with the hoses. And it was oh like NBC versus NBC versus Fox versus CBS. And we're all just like in the, and I'm, so yeah, there was just like, needless to say, a on, lot who's of. Who's there for Fox? Like Joan Rivers, Bart Simpson. This is early nineties. <laughs> this is Magic Johnson <laughs> with his late night show. Early nineties. It would have been 1994 or 95. Yeah. That was the first year of the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh my God. A lot of, wow. a lot of things that, that I just did not. Did not know, did not get. No. Well, you sound like you've come from a great family. I mean, uh, it's just, it's it sounds idyllic and beautiful, honestly. I mean, everyone has their shit, of course, but. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, you know, for sure. But it just sounds so, it sounds so great. Your dad sounds like an amazing human being who knows the balance of things. But I will say this. Okay, we actually, it's, it's, I'm, I'm segueing into my own last question. We do ask this question. Sort of to wrap things up. So, you know, talking about your father, sort of a two-parter, what is the thing that you have taken from him that you are just so grateful for that is just a piece of you? And then what is the thing that you inherited from him, that DNA that you're like, ah, damn it, I, I got that part of my dad and <laughs> I, I wish I didn't have that part, if anything. So I think the piece of him, like my dad was kind of like, he is, he's a rock. And so he was that, that person that, you know, you just knew was there. And it wasn't just because he had a home office and we'd be calling him going like, dad, I forgot my cello. Dad, I forgot my lunch. And he would, you know, be like, guys, I actually am working, but okay, yes, I'll bring the cello. Um, (laughs) He, he is somebody that we go to for advice that actually like my whole group of friends goes to for advice. He has a few sayings that like, um, when Judy Greer was writing her, her book, she said, can I put your dad's quote in it of, um, the best time to plant an apple orchard was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. Mm-hmm. It's like one of his sort of big life philosophies yeah. and, uh, um, to just to grow up with that kind of foundation, was amazing. Um, what sort of DNA did I take from my dad? All of it. Like we walk the same, we look, you can't tell our baby picture. Like up until we're probably about like five, it's, you just have no idea who it is. Um, <laughs> really? Same. We kind of like stand at the counter the same way. Like when I would be walking down the street, everyone would be like, so that's Doug's daughter walking away. Like <laughs> weird gate when we walk. Um, and uh, I think um, 
Yeah, so a lot, a lot. The one that I like. A lot of the physicality. Yes, but I think the biggest one that we probably share is like worry about our children. That would be the one thing that I wish I could do less of. Um, I think Mm -hmm. he worries a lot about his kids, and I think I worry a lot about mine. I got to, I got to move on from that. But I think the. um, Well, that's that's it's funny because my mom is is similar in that everyone goes to her mm. like my friends she is like the sage she's been through everything i mean her life story is just so full and fantastic and just amazing and and she's got so much wisdom and all my friends go to her when they have relationship issues whatever it is and they come out the other side like man your mom like she really knows how to you know talk me off the ledge and imparts all kinds of wisdom, you know, so I can relate to that with my mother anyway, you know. It's so cool. It's so lucky. It's so rare. Yeah, it is. So I'll give you, um, uh, I'll give you one line that my dad used to say all the time because he didn't worry. And uh, his big phrase was don't holler till you're hurt. So what are we going to do? We can worry. And I'm the same way. I'm a worrier. I'm my mom. I'm not my dad that way. I worry about everything way too much. But it does no good. So, uh, you know, you got to build them up the best you can. And and clearly, Sarah, you're doing an unbelievable job. That, I like uh, that quote. Don't holler to her because it's, uh, it, it, it can deal in the physical realm, but it also can deal with just the bigger picture. That's what it was. You know? It was just more. It's about- just about living, living right now. I mean, if we're stressing about something that hasn't that hasn't happened yet, we're essentially you know, just hurting our bodies. We're creating this stress on our bodies for something that hasn't even happened yet. A projection of bullshit. We're catastrophizing, you know? It's yeah. so true. Michael J. Fox wrote in his book that this one thing I think of all the time, which is if you worry about it and you you actually live it twice. Yes. If you worry about it, you live it once now while you're worrying about it. And then if it happens, you're just going to live it again. And I feel like, because yes. apparently- you do. Like when you worry, you think about it, apparently your body actually goes through the same response. as. Oh, yeah. Lip- oh, God. I've been 20 years of therapy. I'm trying to get through this shit. <laughs> this is actually you know? part of that therapy. Sarah, he's <laughs> going to send you your hourly figure. What is it? 250 an hour, 350, yeah, 550 an hour? That's yeah, but what it's Canadian, so it's fine. He'll be fine. Oh, okay. Okay, good. cool. I'll Venmo you. <laughs> and and I, I have to say, Sarah, I did not – you said the word about – and you said the word out, and I didn't hear Canadian. Oh. I know you speak three languages. You speak English, German, and French. Yeah, natürlich. Meine Mutter ist von Deutschland. Also, um, no. I was French school all day and then German school after school on Mondays and Thursdays. German school. Wow. But, but French immersion for the rest of it. Um, and, uh, and then I took a year of Japanese with my friends just because we – Loved it. We went on an exchange to Japan and then I took a couple years of Spanish in college, but I love languages and I, it's one of my, um, they're one of my favorite things, but I don't use them anymore. Like I don't, my grandmother died. We don't speak German ever. And then, um, my kids are learning French, so we'll do that sometimes, but it's a a bummer. Yeah. I just hosted Jeopardy for, for five, five shows. I just did a a week's worth of shows. I needed your expertise because a lot of the uh pronunciations i butchered had to pick up after the contestants were like in their cars going home it's like uh 
In German, they have the bridge Verstappen. I, I'm just trying to do my best Alex Trebek, who grew up French-Canadian, and everything's like, and I had, I I'm, sound like a guy from St. Louis who knows English. That's so much of. fun to host Jeopardy, though. I feel like that was Yeah, it was fun. great. It was great. It was fun. And uh comes out in August, so I know you'll be setting your DVR the minute you hang up on this <laughs> Zoom call. Sorry, yeah. DVR. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. You'll love it. Every minute of it. My Sarah, thank you. VR, because I don't know. Thank you so much. Wait. Yeah. Have your son do it. <laughs> he'll, he'll have your son that. do it or your four-year-old <laughs> wink, wink daughter do it. Yes. Oh, you guys, thank <laughs> you for having me. It was so fun. Oh, you're thank great. Thank you so much. Uh, and do Firefly, Firefly Lane part duh. That Wouldn't that get you like into the 90s kind of? I know. I want to wear like my dock boots and my, 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 my big flannels and my ripped jeans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're in the 90s now. I mean, the style has shifted there anyway. I mean, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You see how it's affected Oliver. Yeah. I I don't know what era I'm living in. I love your toque. I was going to say I love your toque, but then everyone's always like, my what? I'm like, your toque. So you know what it is. My toque. Yeah. I know know the toque. I do. (laughs) Yes. All right, Sarah, be well. Stay safe. Thank you. You guys too. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much. Bye. All right. All right. I would say this. Uh, as a summary, and I don't know that we've ever done a summary. Yeah. I think Sarah comes from unbelievable stock mm-hmm. and is passing it all on to her kids. Like I I I, I think she you know, I obviously I've never met her. I don't mm-hmm. don't know her, but just the way she talks, you know, those examples of what her kids are doing, you can't fake that. And that's uh that's to her credit. I she's obviously doing a hell of a job. Oh God, yeah, yeah amazing and her family seems amazing and you know healthy yeah it's a healthy dynamic it's great you know i i uh i didn't have that so so basically five languages the cello (laughs) was on roseanne as a kid and now is on a hit Netflix show. Yeah, but but what's greater is a sort of laissez-faire, laissez-faire, laissez-laissez, potato-potato fair attitude about it. Where you're meaning like, no, I want to go to the power line and like party. I'm not. I don't want to go to the Golden Globes. Right. You know, yeah. I, I love that stuff. It's just right. like, no, this is my job, and I love my job. But then this is my life. You know. Yeah. Great perspective. No matter what you. do. I'm for envious. Living. living in Vancouver, you know, with her fam, it's pretty great. She How fast great. are you going to download Dr. Becky and the good inside? I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to try that tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to report back to you. And okay, I'm going to say, good. Wyatt, I'm going to close my eyes. Oh, and dude, if, try if, this, please. If when I, I'll video it. If when I open my eyes, you are in your bed, under your blanket, reading a book, looking at yeah. the pictures, I don't even know what I'll do. I don't know what gonna, I will do, but it's going to blow your I mind. I am going to be. It's going to blow your mind. I'm going to be so excited. I I don't even know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Oh, dude, I feel like that will work. Right. Blake, <laughs> try it. Blake, I, I'm just if you can put your underwear back on after going to the bathroom, and you can do it yourself, <laughs> and you can pull them up, and you can pull your pants up on top of those underwear. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just I don't have no know. idea. Yeah, it's 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 going to be crazy. It's going to be <laughs> I'm going to try that with Wilder, who's 13, to see what happens. <laughs> Dad, shut up. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
He'll be like, I know what you're doing. You're taking a nap. That's why you're closing your eyes. Right. Or he'll probably be like, did you listen to that podcast? I'm like, oh. <laughs> My friends and I found it enlightening yet right. boring. <laughs> How about that she uh, listened to the podcast? What? She could have said 100,000 things, and I would have been less surprised than Me hearing too. her say she that it, she... She said it twice. Yeah. Oh God! I know. I yeah. I took note, man. I mean, I was like, oh God, yeah. Wow, <laughs> you're that's you, nice. You've listened. Huh? You know us. Were, were these during the Athletic Greens days, or was this when we were talking about <laughs> manscaping and and all of our other things that we talked about, or, or is it now? Is it now? Uh, let's get her back on and and ask her these questions. What are your Okay, Sarah, what are your top six favorite episodes of ours? Go. <laughs> Imagine if she just starts listing them off. Right. She's like, oh, my God. A-Rod, unreal. When you cried it better, that blew my mind. Right. Uh, David Spade <laughs> talking about cutting class in Arizona. That was nuts. Um, she's like, and don't get me started on guest roulette. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> what a great vehicle for your guests and for your listeners. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, okay. All right, Joe. Well, it was great hanging with you for this hour and a half and for the last five days. Yep. Yep. Good yep. times. Good times. Bye. Bye-bye. Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeartMedia, produced by Margot Carmichael. Sound engineering and editing by Josh Windish. Executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.